Hey everybody, welcome to the first ever bonus episode. Um, the reason this is coming out on the 1st of June is because June is PTSD Awareness Month. And before we get to uh, what this episode is going to be, I just want to take a minute and talk a little bit about post-traumatic stress disorder and my journey with it, which is a lot of what this episode will be. Um, I was diagnosed officially in August of last year, uh, so I haven't uh, really been diagnosed for that long. And before that, I struggled a lot, especially in the six, seven months after I came home from the Middle East in 2013, with depression and anxiety and, and just anger. Um, if you're someone that knows me at all, you, you really wouldn't have recognized me during that time. It was not myself. And um, thanks to the support of some great friends in my family, uh, I was uh, gently, sometimes not so gently, but gently pushed to uh, finally go get some help so that I could really start to understand why I felt the way I felt and uh, why I was doing the things that I was doing and, and how the things that I had been through in my life had affected me and gotten me to this point, which is really what the podcast is all about as well. Um, the reason I speak so much about this and the reason that we're having an episode that's just about PTSD is because um, I just don't think we talk about it enough. Uh, mental health disorders in this country uh, affect so many people and yet for some reason there's still a stigma that surrounds mental health and I want to be a part of combating that and I want you guys to uh, join me and be a part of that too and let people know that they are loved and that going to get help doesn't make you weak and it, if you're uh, there's that dumb thing where some people are like well it makes me less of a man and it's just not true getting help is so important and uh, I can't encourage uh, mental wellness enough um, we have to fight that we all have to decide that the it's okay for everybody to come out of the shadows and not be ashamed of the way that they feel and that they can come forward and say this is the person I am and I want to understand it better um, so if you listen to this episode and you think, um, boy, that sounds a lot like me or parts of that sound a lot like me, or if you know somebody who struggles with some of this stuff and you or them are going, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to, um, to, to come forward, to step out of the shadows, to get some help, but I don't know where to start. I want you to get in touch with me. I really mean that. Get in touch with me. I would love to tell you more about my story and I would love to help find um, resources for you no matter where you are in the country to start getting you the help that um, you might need and to start find someone for you to talk to and just get on the road to uh, mental wellness um, that's it's very important to me so uh, what you're gonna hear is my talk from Thrive United Methodist Church on the 22nd of May uh, I was asked to come speak there I'm so thankful for the opportunity and uh, I will talk a lot about PTSD and how God has taken um, that thing that was supposed to be such a negative in my life and really made it a positive and, and allowed me to create and uh, grow out of that. Um, it, it's just a story that I can't tell people enough because I want them to discover the kind of the hope that I've found. And it's taken me years to get there, but um, it, it, it's, I'm so incredibly happy um, that I took that leap one day and said I'm gonna go see someone and I'm gonna go get some help. So. Um, again, if you're in that place, I want to encourage you, get in touch with me, um, and I want to help you. So, And with that being said, I hope that you guys uh, enjoy this uh, a little bit different episode of the Chris Pete Cast.
Come on, play about Afghanistan. It's one of those big, like, like C-130, like big cargo planes that you see in movies. You're like, nobody rides in those. I ride in those, and they're not comfortable. After we combat land in Afghanistan, combat landing, for those of you who don't know what that is, is akin to, like, riding on a roller coaster at, like, the sketchiest, like, pop-up carnival. You know, the ones, like, coming to town for a week. And so if this is the plane, what combat landing is, is they basically do this. And then they, they level off, they circle, and then they do this again. And eventually, as all flight will end this way, uh, you end up on the ground. Uh, after leaving the contents of your stomach somewhere up here, right? So we're on the ground, um, we're stepping off of the plane into Afghanistan. It's like 130 degrees during the day. It's 90 at night when it's cool out. And I had this moment that struck me, this is the reason why I joined the military, right? We all joined, I think everybody would probably tell you, even though we don't like admitting it, we all joined because we wanted to go war fighting. We wanted to be a part of what we were doing over in the Middle East, and so all of a sudden now, all those things are coming true. All that's about to happen. I'm stepping off the plane, I've got 40 plus pounds of gear on, and we're, we're walking out into that world, and all of a sudden, I'm gonna be the war fighter that I signed up to be, and I had this terrifying moment where I was like, oh, I don't think I wanna do this. <laughs> I don't think I want to be here. I don't think I want to be a war fighter, even though I thought that's what I wanted. But that's not the moment that we're going to talk about. As you might imagine, being in Afghanistan is not exactly, I wouldn't recommend it. Like, don't go there. Don't, don't, don't look for tickets. Don't call your travel agents. People still travel agents. Don't call your travel agents. Being there, again, 130 degrees, we slept in a tent, and by a tent I really mean a tarp that had a pole in the middle of it, and I'm just going to tell you guys something funny, there was a locking door on the tarp. <laughs> the sides of the thing blow open, you could literally walk in the side of it, there was a door that locked on the front, no idea why. I, I assume they thought if the terrorists got that close, they'd go, oh shoot, the door's locked. All right, well, everybody want to go home? I was hoping they wouldn't figure out that our one weakness is locked doors. <laughs> During, and so in addition to all of that stuff, I also then went through um, a pretty nasty breakup. And we're not going to get into like all the details of that, right? Because that's not really what this is about. But suffice it to say, like things are not going great for me over there, okay? We're getting mortared two, three times a day, which is an odd thing to try and exist, an odd world to try and exist in for an extended period of time. Anybody that's been in combat will tell you that. And then I, uh, break up, I get broken up with by this girl, right? And it's not good, guys. I'm here to tell you. And I can tell you that I, I told a friend, and I'm not making this up, I have people that will verify that I said this. I said at one point, if one more bad thing happens, I don't know what I'm going to do. One more bad thing happens. And I recently, I was talking to a friend about this, again, on my podcast where I talk all the time. And I said, you know, it's akin to me, like there was a pot of water on the stove, and every time something happens, if we landed in Afghanistan and someone turned the heat on. And then I get broken up and someone turns the heat up. And every time something happens, it kind of chips away at you, it just turns the heat up a little more. You guys know what I'm talking about. You have those feelings. You ever felt that way? Like the pot's just getting hotter and hotter, and eventually everything's going to boil over, and you can't stop it. You can't make it cool down. You can't turn the heat off. That's how I felt. One more bad thing I said, and I don't know what I'm going to do. But that's also not the moment I want to tell you about. You see why this is going to take a while? i got to build it. i got to walk into it. And then, one day... I walk out of our tent, and there's three people standing there that are not like the best combination of people you want to see. The first one is the officer that's directly in charge of me, which isn't that weird. I had a pretty close relationship with that person, so it wasn't that uncommon. The second one 
was the senior most enlisted person in the command. So there's nobody higher that's not an officer that outranks this, this guy. If he's coming to see you, something really good or really bad happened, okay? And the third person, and this is what really sealed it as not such a good thing, was an army chaplain that I'd literally never seen before in my entire life. That combination of people is not coming to tell you that you won season tickets to the Cubs, okay? <laughs> They're coming to tell you something bad. And it was two days after I had said, one more bad thing, I don't know what I'll do. And I went out to these people, I'm preparing myself that you get that feeling like when you know bad news is coming. I walk out to them and they tell me that my last grandparent had passed away very suddenly, unexpectedly, while I was in Afghanistan. And I'm going to tell you guys what, the pot boiled over. Lid came flying off, there's water everywhere, and I completely lost all ability. It's like I completely forgot who I was. And I went into Afghanistan thinking that I was three things, really. I was going to be a war fighter. I was going to be, I was a boyfriend when I went there. I was also a grandchild, and I left none of those things. And so for a long time after that, I didn't really know who I was supposed to be. But surprisingly, that's not the moment I want to tell you about either. The moment I want to tell you about came last year in August. I'm sitting in an office with a VA, with a veteran affairs hospital psychiatrist, and we are talking about uh, diagnosing me with something that we can, I can get money for from the VA for disability. That's a terrible process, and I won't get into it with you. But I will tell you that if you do it ever, you have to have the single most awkward conversation you'll ever have with someone, which is you sit down in a room with this guy, and he says, "I want to now listen. I'm a student of therapy. I go to therapy all the time. I'm very used to that." I sit down with this guy, and he says. This isn't therapy. I said, I don't know what you mean by that. And he said, I'm not gonna, we're not gonna talk about any of your issues. I just wanna hear what your issues are so that we can figure out what's wrong with you, basically, in not so many words. I said, okay, great, I'm, I'm good with that. You might think it would start with, tell me when you went to Afghanistan. This is where he starts. He goes, okay, tell me where you were born. And we work all the way through from when I was born until the moment I'm sitting in this guy's office. I swear it took like two and a half hours of just him asking questions. Well, tell me about this. Would this ever happen to you? Well, tell me what your parents were like. All, just, just all of this stuff. And he's not making commentary on any of it. He just asks more questions, which is infuriating, really. Because I know he's thinking stuff, and I want to know what it is. But instead, he's just writing on his pad, you know? This is the moment I want to tell you about. We finished that terrible, terrible long process. And he tells me, he says, you know, I, I think you have PTSD. Has anyone ever told you you have PTSD? Interestingly enough, nobody had, even though if you know anything about it, and if I were to tell you the story in greater detail, I, was, I fit the profile almost perfectly. And during those six months or so, six, seven, eight months after Afghanistan, before I started going to therapy, I was depressed, I was anxious, I was angry, I was uh, just always felt on edge, I had no idea why, all kind of earmarked symptoms of this. But nobody had told me, miraculously, that that was ever the thing that I had. And now all of a sudden, in that moment, there's a guy stand, sitting there, and he says, again, very nonchalantly, because this is really the first thing he said, well, I guess that was a question too, but he said, you, I think you have PTSD, and that's where I want to put, I want to submit you for that for disability, because I think 
that that's what's going to get you the most money, was basically what he was saying. But I'm over sitting over here having a crisis of identity because five seconds ago I wasn't someone with PTSD and now all of a sudden I am. And to him, he probably tells people this kind of stuff all day long. But to me, I was not, and then I was. I went from unlabeled, not knowing who I was, having no idea what I was supposed to be, to labeled. And perhaps the most interesting moment of this is that he said, I want to make sure you're okay with me putting that down. And I said, I have no idea why I wouldn't be. Because if that's what's wrong with me, then that's what I want you to write down in the chart. And he said, well, some people, they want to go on and they might, they're thinking about joining the military again. No way, by the way, would I do that. Or they're thinking about they want to be police officers, they want to do some other things. And he says if they have PTSD in their record, it keeps them from, it sometimes keep them from being able to do that stuff. He's basically asking me, or basically saying to me, this label is going to follow you for the rest of your life, and before I write it down and, and stamp you with it, I want to make sure that you're going to be okay with it. And he's kind of again, doing all this like it's just another day. And I'm sitting over here thinking that everything has changed now. There's that moment where there's that moment where you become Labeled. That's the moment I want to tell you about. Now I want you to think about your moments where you've become labeled. And I don't want you to think that they're all like bad things. You got married, you became a husband or a wife. You had a kid and you got labeled as a parent, as a mother, as a father. Maybe as an aunt, an uncle, a godparent. All good stuff. Maybe you got a job that you've always wanted to have. That's, that's not a bad thing either. Those things all inform part of who we are and they're not all bad stuff, right? Think about those labels, those moments. If you have a kid, the moment your kid was born, if you got married, the moment you got married, those days where you took on that label, and they're not bad labels. And then I want us to think about the moments, like the one I told you about, where you get labeled and it's not so good. And all of a sudden you become, maybe you don't get the job, and you went from employed to unemployed. Maybe you didn't get the girl, and you went from boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, to rejected. And maybe you got the diagnosis and you went from just somebody who came in to a patient, and maybe eventually a survivor, or maybe not. When you became lost, broken, sick, disillusioned, we all have these moments. You guys know what I'm talking about? Just that feeling that there was before this, and there was after this. I've spent a lot of my life, especially in the last year, reconciling my feelings with how things were supposed to be and how they are after that moment. Um, and the things that we believe we are, those labels, they inform not just who, uh, not just our identity, but the things that we do. I like, I'm a big fan of Rob Bell. There'll also be some Richard Rohr in here. But I'm a big fan of Rob Bell, and I, what Rob says in one of his books, he says, what we do comes out of who we believe we are. And if, now, I want you to think about something, and when I was in Afghanistan, and after a breakup, before I heard about my uh, grandmother passing away, 
I was doing a lot of writing because that is the way that I was working through all this stuff. And I'm so glad I did it because I can look back now and I can see a very clear theme, a very, a very clear uh, thought that pervades all that stuff, which is that there must be something more than the way that I feel right now. I'm not even going to ask you because I'm almost positive everybody's felt that way. There's got to be something more. There's got, it's got to get better than this. But let's pretend for just a minute that it's not. There's nothing else. And that the only thing that we have are the things that with which we are labeled, right? And that informs the things we do. It informs our actions. It informs what we believe. It informs our story. And let's pretend now for a minute that the only thing that I am is somebody with PTSD. And I would just be all of these things. And they're not all great. But if there's nothing more, if that feeling that I have and that you have, that the world is supposed to be better than the way we feel on our worst days isn't real, then we're nothing more than this. I'm nothing more than anxiety, hypervigilance, depression. I'm nothing more than all those things. I don't want to live in a world like that, and I really doubt that you do either. So we're going to get into now what that more is, what that better is, moving beyond those labels. There's this thing called the fire triangle. And in order to make fire, you have to have heat, fuel, and oxygen, okay? So you have to have like wood, right? Um, and you have to have some kind of heat source and then it's gotta have air. Uh, fire loves oxygen, okay? But when we teach people this, we often tell them that there's a, third, a fourth critical element. And I really love the metaphor of this because it's something that you can't see and something that I can't send you to get. But it still has to be there. You can put all of this stuff together, and without this fourth thing, it's just a pile of stuff. It all has to have a chemical reaction. The fourth critical element of the fire triangle, the thing at the center is this chemical reaction that makes all of these things kind of go. And one of the great things about science to me is that, you know, they would call a lot of us silly for believing that God exists, and yet they go, yeah, all that stuff together, it just happens. And then you go, well, how come? Well, because when you, when you put oxygen and fire and heat together, there's a chemical reaction, or oxygen and heat and fuel together, there's a chemical reaction, it makes fire. And you'd say, well, how does that chemical reaction happen? They go, well, we just know it does. You can explain it to a certain point, but there is some kind of essence to that fourth critical element that's unexplainable. We have to have that, though. Without that, no fire. Now I want you to look at a different triangle, one that talks about, um, that Jeremy actually helped me come up with this the other day. And I don't think we've named it yet, but we probably should. And copyright it. Uh, <laughs> story, belief, and identity. And when we look back at the fire triangle, none of those three things are more important than the other one. And it's the same with this. This is the essence of who we are, friends. This is our story and who we believe we are. It informs our story, but our story also backs up our identity. So if I'm a person who identifies as having PTSD, I have a story that supports that identity. I have what I believe about it, and all of those things are informed by each other. And we trick ourselves into thinking that these labels are enough to tell us who we really are supposed to be. But remember what I said before when, we were, when I was in Afghanistan and doing all that writing, just that feeling that there's supposed to be more than this. Or there's supposed to be more than that. That feeling, that essence, there's, there's got to be something. We're missing a fourth critical element. I've come to believe in recently that the fourth critical element is resurrection. And I'm going to tell you why. 
And this is the part that you gotta really stay with me. I might get excited, so everybody just big deep breath and whatever. This is this is we're winding up now, okay? Resurrection. Richard Rohr said the resurrection is when one moment reveals the meaning of all moments. And you might be thinking, Chris, that sounds very lovely, but I have no idea what that means. When I came across this in uh, his book, in one of the books I was reading by Richard Rohr, I, I, I had to stop and go, that's really pretty. I have no idea why that's important. And sat and thought about it, and thought about it, and thought about it, I've been thinking about it. I probably told you about that months ago, and I've been thinking about it for a long, long time. And I've come to believe that the fourth critical element to our story, to giving us true identity, true purpose, is resurrection. And let me tell you why. Because, friends, Resurrection changes everything. Everything. And maybe not in the way that you're thinking I'm going to tell you it does. We're not going to talk. Some of you are starting to tune out, tune back in. Because some of you are thinking, he's going to tell me that because we go to heaven after we die, that's why resurrection changes everything. I'm not going to tell you that. That's not what I'm going to say. So if, you were, if, you're, if I was losing you, come back, because it's going to be a little different than that, okay? In the Bible, let's start here. In the Bible, Jesus dies. Thank you. You guys have been great. No, I'm kidding. In the Bible, Jesus dies. And then three days later, he's not dead anymore. Which is the single, except for the one time that happened before with Lazarus, is the one of the single, it, it contradicts uh, the only principle that should be steadfast. When people die, they stay dead. Except this time, somebody died and they weren't dead anymore. There's a story in John um, that we often refer to as Doubting Thomas. And even if you're not like a, a Bible person or a church person, I'm going to bet you know what that is. Like it's a phrase in common usage. You can use it in Scrabble, right? Phrase in common usage. Doubting Thomas. So let me, let me walk you into this. There's uh, Jesus dies, and then he's not dead. Okay, remember that. Remember when I said that a minute ago? It's important. So, so remember that. Now, he comes back, and he's hanging out with his, the 12 minus 1, because Judas isn't there anymore. And there, now, Thomas, see, now Thomas gets a bad rap in this story, my friends. Thomas gets a bad rap because he's the only one who's standing Now, remember, again, Jesus dies, not dead. Okay? Dies, then he's alive again. And everybody's, like, good with it in this story, except Thomas, who's sitting there going, what is going on? That guy died, and now he's not dead anymore. And everyone's going, yeah, he said that would happen. <laughs> and Thomas is like, I don't care. What are you talking about? He should be dead still. If he's not dead, then everything is changing. He's the one throwing his hands in the air and saying, you guys, don't you see that if this is true, everything that we know is subject to being changed. This is the moment that reveals to us that we don't know anything about the way the world works. It's the cool, subversive nature of the gospel that takes the thing you thought was true and turns it on its head. And Jesus says to him, I love this, he says, put your finger here and look at, look at my hands, put your hand in the wound in my side, don't be faithless any longer, believe. Why is this awesome? Because Jesus here is wounded and resurrected. He died, he's alive. And in this moment with Thomas, those things that killed him, the things that literally killed him, the nails in, the nails in his hands, the wound in his side, they are no longer instruments of death. They become vehicles of belief. 
That's transformation. That's the secret of the resurrection. That's the good news of the gospel. And it's why resurrection changes everything. Because in this moment, we're clued into the fact that there is not one single thing in this world that cannot be repurposed, including the things that were supposed to literally kill you. I like this moment better than I like the empty grave. You know what I'm saying? This moment to me preaches bigger than any moment in the entire Bible because in this moment, these wounds, they become something totally different. These holes in the hand, the, the wound in the side, it becomes something, a reason to believe that Jesus isn't dead. Something you can touch, something you can feel. It takes these things and it says, you thought that, that this was going to be the end, and it's not. And the reason I, I, this resonates with me so much is because I look at myself as somebody whose life, is, who could, as somebody whose life could have gone a very different way. If I hadn't gotten the help that I got, if I hadn't sat in many, many hours of therapy, if I didn't love talking about myself so much, which we've all learned by now, if I didn't have some kind of hope, then things could have ended a lot differently. And they do for a lot of my, the veteran community. And that's sad to me. Because they haven't discovered yet the hope that I've discovered, which is that every single thing before the resurrection and after it now is changed because Jesus died and then he didn't stay dead. It reveals the transformed pattern of all history that all things, including death, are now become, now become vehicles for hope and renewal and redemption. And some of you, I'm going to say it one more time, some of you are not even smiling at me, and I want you to stop and really think about this. If people die and then they're no longer dead, everything is different now. Everything changes. You now have a new window through which to view the entirety of history, your existence, and the things that happen to you and the things that are going to happen to you. It changes everything. Resurrection means that I can be more than just someone with PTSD. It's our fourth critical element. It makes the story make sense. It ties belief, identity, and, and all of those things together into one coherent message, all on the path of redemption. And because of that, I can stand here and I can tell this story to you and get way too excited and freak some of you out because I'm yelling at you. <laughs> I can stand here and tell you that this, me here, giving this message to you, this is why resurrection is awesome. Because instead of being somebody that sits in my room and feels sorry for myself, and believe me, I spent my time doing that, I now have a desire to come out and tell you this story and give you this message and stand here and say, put your holes in or put your hand in the holes and see how my story the thing that was supposed to kill me has been redeemed. This, right now, this moment, what we are all understanding, or coming to understand, this is PTSD repurposed. This is all things on redemption's path. This is death redefined, and it's every one of your labels, good and bad, resurrected. Like a tidal wave.